welcome to Rethink, the future of skilled nursing, a podcast from Skilled Nursing News. I'm your host, Maggie Flynn. A top challenge for skilled nursing providers across the country, after staffing, is caring for people with substance use disorders and behavioral health needs. It's such a prominent issue that the director of the Division of Nursing Homes at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services addressed it at a major industry conference this year. My guest today, Fred Stratman, general counsel at the Communicare family of companies, has seen this problem firsthand across multiple states. We talked about how SNFs can serve this population's care needs and how Communicare is working with different states to address the issue. I'm joined today by Fred Stratman, who is the general counsel at Communicare. Fred, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join me on the Rethink podcast. Well, thank you, Maggie. I'm glad to be here. So I want to start by asking you, can you talk about the work that Communicare does and where Communicare does it? I know you were in several different states. Yes, uh, Communicare is a pretty large company in the skilled nursing space. We have 87 skilled nursing facilities in seven states, which are Indiana, Ohio, Missouri, Maryland, Virginia, West Virginia, and Pennsylvania. We also operate three adult psychiatric facilities that focus on geriatric and adult psychiatric in the acute space. We also operate a therapy company and a, an ambulance transportation company and an ancillary services company. So we're, we're pretty widespread in terms of the services that we provide, but most of them focus around post-acute care. You mentioned the psychiatric facilities, and that leads me to something that I wanted to ask you about specifically because you and I met at the American Healthcare Association conference. At that conference, Evan Shulman at CMS spoke about how one of the second biggest problems that operators are coming to the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services with is what to do about have either behavioral health issues or substance use disorders. And this was something that you had a lot of really interesting work on. And can you tell me a bit just about what you're seeing in terms of that population and in terms of how prevalent it is? Yes, I'm happy to do that. This is an area of healthcare that I think is being ignored in a large part. A lot of nursing home patients in certain areas, especially in the Medicaid space, tend to be people with behaviors, with mental illness, or with some comorbidity with substance use disorder. And when you look at the patients with behavioral health issues or mental mental illness, you know, years ago, back in the 90s when they deinstitutionalized uh, people with behavioral health and mental health issues, the, the thought was that people would return home and receive their services in the community. And what ended up happening is that Many did not, and we're seeing them either in the nursing home space or they're showing up in our psychiatric facilities. They tend to cycle between psychiatric hospitals, emergency rooms, homeless shelters, and and jail. It's an unfortunate byproduct of deinstitutionalization in that the community supports are not really meeting the needs. So in order to fill that gap, nursing homes kind of became the placement choice for this population. And it's our company's opinion, and we've certainly looked into this issue and and, and tried to make some advancements on this issue on on how to deal with this this population group, because I don't know, and we, we as a company don't necessarily believe 
that a nursing home is the best place for someone who's got behaviors, who's got mental health issues, who may be a danger to themselves or others. So we've looked at a lot of different models as to how, you know, the nursing home industry is dealing with it. You know, the federal government has what they call the IMD exclusion, the institution, institutes of the IMD exclusion, which anyone in the business knows what it is. It basically prevents you from having more than half of your population in a nursing home of being with a predominant behavioral health or mental illness designation. You're basically running a mental health institution. And there's an exclusion to that because they don't want to create a situation where there are now mentally ill or people with behavioral health problems basically being warehoused in nursing homes. Now, that exclusion as a matter of operational necessity, both from the community standpoint, from the government standpoint, is ignored. I think there are buildings uh, in every, every community where there are nursing homes that have a predominant population of people with behaviors and mental illness. But we're not giving them the, the best care possible. We're not doing anything to try and break that cycle that they have of either being in nursing homes or being in hospitals or homeless shelters or jails. We looked at what the VA does. And, and I know that a lot of people have issues with the way that the VA provides care. But I think this is one aspect of the VA system that is actually working uh, through their homeless prevention programs, they have domiciliaries which provide stable housing, which is so critical, medical attention when it's needed, meals, programming, social services, and activities to keep homeless veterans who, who may have behavioral health issues or mental health issues out of homelessness and, and kind of give them a productive life as much as possible. So we looked at the idea of creating this kind of an institution in the Medicare Medicaid system. And we've approached state governments in Ohio and Indiana and Maryland about doing that, about having specialized nursing homes with this population as your service group and giving them the services that they need that are not necessarily consistent with nursing home services. You know, we want to make sure that their medication is being managed. We want to make sure that they have stable housing and meals and physical care when they need it. But we also want to make sure that we're trying to meet their needs. So we, we developed programming that focuses on life skills, on managing yourself in a community situation, grocery shopping, managing your finances, grooming, grocery shopping, just those kinds of skills that may be able to help them over the long term. I don't know that you're going to immediately break that cycle of dependence and homelessness, but we're going to, we're going to try. We're, we're going to give it a shot. We're going to put a situation in place for them that will give them an opportunity to do so rather than just putting them in nursing homes and almost forgetting about them. Now, these patients, how do they end up in the nursing home in the first place? I know that sometimes there is that need of nursing home care alongside other issues. Is it just that there's a lack of places for them to go? And since they maybe happen to need some of the services a nursing home can provide, these patients end up there? Yes. You know, the, in the long-term care setting, when they'll end up, they, they may end up because they've got 
physical ailments that prevent them from from working or living independently, and those are comorbidities that come from either substance use or behavioral health issues. And then when they come to nursing home, either on a short stay or you know on a long term stay. Uh, what will happen is that um, we realize and they realize that the nursing home setting may not be the best or most appropriate care for them, but there isn't a placement for them. And then the rules regarding a nursing home discharge is that they have to have a safe and appropriate location to which you discharge them. And if there aren't these services available in the community, and in most communities there are not enough to meet the demand, they end up staying in the nursing homes. You mentioned the rules and the regulations, and that's something I've heard mentioned. To me, there was a provider I spoke with a while ago that specifically noted how many nursing homes are dealing with regulations that are designed for a completely different population. And I know that you have done, Communicare has done work on the regulations, trying to get some of the new regulations set into place or even new systems. Like you mentioned, can you talk a little bit about some of the ways you've tried to approach dealing with regulatory change and what's been the response? Well, the response from government agencies is that you know we're we're leaning in the right direction, but we're not proposing the right thing for them. I think everybody recognizes that the behavioral, mental health, and substance use populations there there is a great need for services. But what we're proposing now, we've we've done a couple of different proposals. We've proposed state waivers for for state Medicaid departments to allow us to have buildings that are you know, a 100% behavior population and recognized as such. It's not kind of, you know, ignoring that IMD exclusion anymore. It's kind of asking for a waiver from it so that we can provide predominantly behavioral health services to the population, maybe recertify them as, you know, quarterly or within every 90 days of saying that this is, you know, they still require these services and this is the best care setting for them at this time. We've also proposed allowing adult day services, which Medicaid does not cover in the behavioral health space, to be provided to this group. And we've kind of created a concept of of finding a, a housing partner so that People can live independently in the community, but they'll check in an adult day program three to five times a week so they can receive any medical attention they need. They can receive counseling. They can receive any therapy that they need, and they can have activities that are designed to help them succeed in the community. And then the the last thing that we propose really focuses in on the substance use population in that, you know, we look at states like Ohio and Indiana that have high nursing home vacancy rates. Ohio's vacancy rate is about 15, 16%. In Indiana, it's about 24, 25%. We wanted to create a regulatory structure that would incentivize nursing home owners to turn their excess capacity into residential substance use treatment by having an expedited uh, certificate of need process that would allow, instead of taking a year to 18 months for a new nursing home bed to get online or a new substance use bed to come online, that we could actually have it done within six months. And we've presented these plans to the two state governments. And again, while they agree that there's a need for these services 
uh, they're not really receptive to being the first one to try this kind of a waiver. Is there any sense of why that's the case? Is it just a particularly thorny issue? Why would there be this reluctance to uh, pursue a waiver to the IMD exclusion? I'm not sure exactly why. I think that they recognize that there is a need. Everyone's told us that there is a need. They've told us that it's an interesting concept, but they're concerned about maybe that gray area between you know, in a nursing home in most states, it's governed by the State Department of Health. You know, in Ohio, you know, there's a separate agency for mental health, and there's different regulations and different rules for obtaining your CON certification. So when you have this crossover between different governmental entities, there they that maybe there's a suspicion that we're trying to slide into a gray area and avoid any type of certification or regulation, that that could be one reason why they're not embracing the idea. I think that, you know, as a, as a social commentary, while there's a lot of attention being paid nationally and, and definitely at the state level to the opioid crisis, it, it's come at the expense of a growing need to address the behavioral health and mental health crisis nationally. Yeah, because you've proposed this in multiple different states, I believe, Indiana, Ohio, Maryland. You said th- those are Indiana and Ohio are obviously, you know, side by side, but Maryland is, is a bit, you know, further out. And I'm curious, are you seeing this issue in, in other states than the ones that you proposed it in? Because you are in several states. I, I'm assuming the problem that you the problems that you've outlined are not confined to just these three states. No, I think the issues with the behavioral health population are everywhere. Um, you know, the the entire country deinstitutionalized mental health. You know, they closed the large state psychiatric hospitals with the goal of putting people back in the community and, and localizing their treatment and their care. And, and that then what happened is they, they they failed to keep up by providing the appropriate level of services for them. On the substance use side, um, you know, the opioid crisis is is huge in Ohio. It's huge in Indiana. It's, it's tremendously invasive in West Virginia. And then even in Maryland, there is a significant cost of the opioid crisis. When you look at the social cost, which is a lost economic opportunity, the additional cost of hospitalization and treatment, the cost of the, on the criminal justice system, all of those social costs, states that have the highest per capita burden from the opioid crisis are Maryland, West Virginia, Ohio, and Indiana is a little bit further down, but they're all significant players in that. And they're all seeing the social cost, the economic impact, and the burdens that it places on the entire healthcare system, and, and to a certain extent, the criminal justice system. I want to maybe not devil's advocate quite, but but sort of a, a question that I have listening to this. Um, it certainly sounds like nursing homes are seeing many of the effects of this. From your perspective, why are nursing homes, you know, maybe in a in a position to actually provide some help for this? Like, what are some of the capabilities that the skilled nursing setting or the nursing home setting and that operators in this space have that they can actually help alleviate some of these problems? Because obviously there will be challenges, but also you seem to think that there will be, you know, room to help from providers. So what are some of the strengths that providers could bring to this population because of their work in the skilled nursing field? Well, the, the 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 first first one, and I think is is most obvious to me, is that we're already treating them. 
we have evolved from a population where nursing homes, you know, 30 years ago were people who, you know, didn't need a lot of care, but just couldn't manage themselves independently, and they maybe needed a little more close attention medically. And then you could see as time goes by that nursing homes are seeing people with greater health needs. The acuity has gone up. And then you also have the behavioral health population where people are, you know, this is the, the only place where people are able to receive the medical and the residential care that they need. So we're already treating this population. But also, when it comes to states like Indiana and Ohio, we have bandwidth. We have empty beds. We have entire facilities. We could, you know, we have situations where we've got three or four facilities that are clustered together, and you've got three or four facilities, and each of them are running at about 80 percent occupancy. Theoretically, you could empty one, transfer the patients to the others, and then you've got a complete facility that's capable for being repurposed. And this is a common phenomenon, and especially when you've got, you know, rural hospitals that are closing, the or rural nursing homes that are closing, and rural hospitals are closing as well. But then you need treatment locations, and if there's a nursing home that is closed because they can't sustain it, and we just we just closed one in Ohio that is a 49 bed center in a very rural area that, at the time of closing, only had 22 patients. You know, this is in an area where there is a great deal of of, of opioid dependence that facility could be repurposed as a residential substance use treatment center. So, you know, we've got, we've got familiarity. We're providing care already. We're just calling it nursing home care. But we believe that we could, you know, we could easily transition facilities into that. So we're familiar with the population. We've got the physical structure you know, the infrastructure in terms of the buildings, and the buildings are already meeting regulations for for residential care. So why not uh, do that? It's, a, it's kind of a win-win. Yeah, it sounds like it, it would be. I'm curious, though, would there be any issues with regard to the population that is in those homes already? Would you end up having to move patients that maybe are much older, more frail, because this population that needs substance use disorder treatment and treatment for behavioral needs, it tends to be a little bit younger. That's one commonality that I've heard when I talk with providers who deal with this population. I guess, would there be any issues with the existing population in the nursing homes, or are there enough of them that it may as well just be focused on that? Well, I think from an operational, from a care standpoint, you can't co-locate you know, a substance use treatment center in the same building as a nursing home. And the same, although we're already doing it, you've got behavior buildings that have, you know, maybe a a 40, 50, 60, in some cases, 90% behavior population. And, And behavior patients need less, you know, physical care. They're not like someone who's coming in in, in a short rehab stay who needs physical therapy and they need medication management or they've got you know, catheters, wounds, their fall risks, that, that's a different kind of care that's being provided where you know, the behavior side, it's more psychosocial, but we're, we're, we've got them all together. And I think what, what's happening is that you could actually you know, improve the care on both sides of this equation by, by by shuffling your population around. Now, obviously, we would not want to have a situation where we're 
going to move patients and the nearest facility that their family could go to is an hour away. That's not the kind of situation yeah. we envision. But, you know, we had we have a situation in eastern Ohio where we have a three-building campus with only enough patient population to support two. So there's a building right there that could be repurposed. We had in Cleveland area, we had a number of buildings that are within about a 10, 15 minute drive of each other where you know, you could move patients with minimal inconvenience to their family and keeping them very close to the community that they came from um, while still meeting the needs of, of the behavior population by clustering them together. You know, it creates operational issues as well of, of, of mixing the population. So, again, there's an operational efficiency that works to it, too, in terms of being able to, if you need more social workers for a psychosocial behavior population, that's helpful as opposed to maybe more therapists and more activity aids for a rehab and a long-term care population. That there's a synergy that can be found there in addition to, you know, providing the best kind of care environment for your entire population. Gotcha. Are you, obviously, the uh, regulatory work will take some time and it depends on how the state governments respond to it. So I'm curious, since, as you mentioned, you are taking care of these patients, what has Communicare been doing in terms of how it you know, focuses the services that it offers. Can you talk about the evolution of services that Communicare has done, particularly in states where this has been a problem? You know, can you talk about how things have, have changed in some of the work that, that the company has been doing? Well, our, you know, our, our company really focuses, as every nursing home provider should, and, and, and I would think the vast majority do, is that you provide the appropriate level and type of care that each individual patient needs. So as our as our populations change, maybe we need more psychosocial therapy focus in a building, but that doesn't you know diminish the need for others to have physical therapy and to have activities that are geared towards you know engaging our population or, or providing them with just the quality of life that 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 they need and that they deserve. So we have minor changes in an, in the particular building based on the population and the patients that are there. But as a whole, we've just you know we've just kept that focus on what is what is necessary and appropriate for each individual patient. And obviously, the government tells us that you know we have to provide certain services, and we do. But sometimes, when we have um, a behavior population, I can think that we, we, you know, of a couple of situations where we have instituted for our behavior patients the, the, that kind of life skills and community management therapy that is helpful to them. Obviously, it's not the same for someone who's coming in on a short stay, maybe as a result of a, a surgery or a broken hip. Their needs are different, and we're meeting those, but we're we're trying to, when, when there's a demand for it and it's appropriate, kind of work this new therapy in just because it's really what's helpful for them from a restorative standpoint or maybe from an occupational therapy standpoint. Yeah. And in terms of what the future holds, I think really just the last point I'd want to ask you uh, for this conversation is just what do you think is going to happen with this population as as time goes on and how is it going to tie into the way that the skilled nursing world is evolving? Because that is, it's interesting that this evolution of skilled nursing seems to be happening right as this 
all these needs you've spoken about are also growing. Well, the, the skilled nursing industry is really in a difficult spot right now. You, you, we're told that we, you know, we call it the silver tsunami as, as the baby boomers start to age out. That's coming. And there's a lot of operators who are hanging on, you know, operating at very thin margins and, and, and barely making it with the hope that in five, ten years, we're going to see it, a, a large increase in that 75-plus population group that is going to need nursing services. And that's going to happen. I mean, that's a, you know, there's the demographers and a lot of social scientists. You know, we're aware that that's going to happen and that we're kind of in a, I think they, they call it the population donut hole or something right now. But this behavioral health population is not going to go away, and I don't know that it's going to diminish. The unfortunate thing is that, you know, as a statistically independent demographic group, we're not following them. We're not checking the growth in it. So we're in, in substance use, we are tracking. So we know that that is still growing. I think states are making progress in addressing opioid deaths and overdoses, which is phenomenal. Obviously, there's still too many. But what's going to happen is, I think, as, as a result of the side effect of a large population with substance, long-term substance use issues, they're going to have physical issues and they're bound to be, although I'm not a clinician, they're bound to be, be you know, mental health and behavioral issues that, uh, that result from long-term substance abuse. So I think the behavioral and substance use populations are going to continue to grow. And then if and when the silver tsunami comes, that there's really going to be a lot of competition for, for space in nursing homes. And we're at a point now where a lot of states have excess nursing home capacity. We're looking at the possibility of having far too little mm -hmm. supply for the demand that's going to be out there. It'll be very interesting to see how it shapes up as the population ages and as we deal with these different health crises that are happening related to opioids, related to substance use and everything else. Fred, thank you so much for making the time to chat with me about this. I really enjoyed the conversation and really appreciated your being able to make the time for us today. Well, Maggie, thank you for having me. I'm always glad to to talk about this issue. I think that's how we kind of started was we just had a, a, a side conversation at the AHCA event. Yep. Um, we're happy to get the word out. And I think that there are a lot of people who are thinking the same way and who are maybe looking at the same kind of ideas. It's just that we're not talking about it enough. So anything that we can do to help spread the word and maybe you know, put out the foundation of a, of a national movement to address these two issues would be very, very helpful to everybody, especially the patient populations we serve. Well, hopefully this will be, hopefully this will be one step on the way to doing that. Well, I hope so too. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Maggie. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rethink, the future of skilled nursing. If you like what you heard, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. And for more news and insights on the skilled nursing industry, subscribe to our daily or weekly newsletters at skillednursingnews.com. I'm Maggie Flynn, and this has been a production of Aging Media Network, Chicago, Illinois.